hand for the TED guys. Don't they do a great job? I'm Pastor Jim, and I've got a ship to sail. I was going to get the pirate hat, but Sandy never brought it, huh? No? Anyway. Hey, we've been sailing ships, and uh, we've gone through leadership and mentorship and discipleship. And today, we're going to do stewardship. And we're going to go, oh, no, we knew we'd get to the money somehow. Well, we're going to get there, but it's a smooth ride, okay? Hey, the focus of our, uh, our text, our, our, our night, our day today, will be found in Psalms 24 and verse 1. It says, the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's pretty inclusive. Uh, doesn't sound like we left anybody out, right? Sounds like everything belongs to God. As we talk about stewardship, uh, stewardship is a huge part, giant part of proclaiming the gospel, of, of proclaiming God to a lost world. And the question always is, is what is stewardship? I mean, what is that? We we, discipleship is pretty simple and uh, leadership, we, we've got leadership books, but what is stewardship? Well, it's first the office and duties or the obligations of a steward. That's a person who's responsible for taking care of something or someone. And secondly, it is the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. It's the entrusting to one's care that we're really going to work on in our time together this morning. This stuff doesn't belong to you. It's a gift. It's something that's, that's in, given to us that we are entrusted to be responsible for. Stewardship is not ownership. We already read in scripture that everything belongs to God. We come in empty, we go out empty. Where's the ownership? It goes to somebody else. So we are stewards. God allows us to care for his resources. He let Adam start at the, in, the, in, the, in the Garden of Eden was a responsibility to work and take care of the garden. So God gave Adam all the things that he needed. And God will bless those who are faithful stewards. It's a promise that if we're good in this, there's blessing. If we're good and faithful in this, in this aspect of our life, he will bless us. Stewardship should be normal for all believers. It's, this isn't something that's unusual. It isn't for the hyper-Christian. It isn't for the elite or for the leaders. It is for every believer who calls Christ Savior. It's not, it's not something that you go to achieve. It is something that you get on early and you continue it. It shows our love. Good stewardship shows our love for others. With good stewardship comes great sacrifice. There is sacrifice involved in stewardship. I'm not going to stand here and tell you, well, 
you just give and nothing happens and you know it's all easy it's not there is great sacrifice involved in showing love for others number three it makes us more in the image of jesus jesus is our example right church we strive we have faith we believe as we push forward in our faith that we are going to be more like christ and what better example than christ than Christ than we have in stewardship. In Christ, he showed what it was like to give. In Christ, he knew, we, he shows what it is to sacrifice. It shows a depth of growth in our relationship with God that every believer should be able to demonstrate. This isn't something that you would go, well, when I get there, I'll do this. It's not that way. It's part of our growth. So let's talk about stewardship so our first point is the stewardship of time time everybody has the same amount of time nobody has an extra hour or two nobody has an extra minute or two everybody's given the same allotment of time how do you steward the time that God has given you Psalms 24 1 back to our original text Everything in it belongs to him. That includes time. Everything. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. God has a time for everything. There is nothing missing that God doesn't cover. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant. A time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep, and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. A time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and to give up. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear, a time to mend. A time to be silent, and there's a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. There's a time for everything, and it's God's time. It's not our time. In our spirit, we would say, oh, we, it's not a time for war. It's a time for peace. This is not a time for rejoicing, but this is a time for mourning. But God has designated time to be applied and used in different areas of our life. It goes on to say, chapter 3, 11 through 14, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. No man can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no, nothing better for, the people, for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. I love that verse. God wants us to be happy, and he wants us to do good while we live. Right? He's not a God that's looking to pound our head. He's a God who wants the very best for us. We go on, verse 13, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift of God. 
I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Now the word for the fear is, is to have humble respect for God. If we knew time was endless, there would be, there would be no respect for the end. There is an end time appointed to every man. There is an end time appointed for every man. And so God in his wisdom pushes and places restrictions on time. So why? So we get fearful of where we're going to go and what we're going to do? No. He puts those restrictions so our eyes are lifted up toward him. Because he is who we depend on. He is who we seek. How do we steward our time? How do we steward the time that God has given you? Prayer. In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, it's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord wants us, God wants us to be in constant communion with him. He wants us to have relationship with him. Are you spending time in prayer? Of all the things that you do, of all the activities that you have, in your checklist, your to-do list, do you have a time of prayer in there? Are you using time to its best advantage? Are you being a good steward? Are you spending time in prayer? He wants us to be in relationship with him, and part of that relationship is communicating to him. God's word. Are you in God's word? Are you spending time in God's word? 2 Timothy 2.15 do your best to present yourself to God as approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. Don't mess with this. Know what it says. Do what it says. This is an action book, not just a lecture book, not just a rule book. It's an action book. You need to be in your word. Spend time. Allocate time to the word of God. Third one is, are you spending time talking about your testimony? You know, testimony is a powerful thing. Powerful. Your testimony is a powerful tool that the, that the Lord wants to use to do what? To make you look better? Who are you? No. He wants your testimony to point people to him. Because they know on your own power and on your own strength, and Lord help us, on your own intellect, that you can never be where you're at. Right? Be sure you give glory to God through your testimony. 1 Corinthians 2.1 And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, that I came to you, and I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. God only had what God had done. Paul only had what God had done for him. When Paul writes these letters to either the church of Ephesus or the Corinthians, he first comes. His first thing is, this is what the Lord has done for me. Now, Paul had a reputation, right? 
He was a scoundrel before he was saved. Before that road to Damascus, he was, they were afraid of him because they thought they were going to be killed or imprisoned. So the dramatic turnaround for Paul was, was amazing, a miracle. And so for Paul to have been saved on Damascus Road and go off silently back to Tarsus and never share the word, where would we be? Where would we be as a church? Where would we be? He didn't. He obeyed God. He gave his testimony. And he used the time that he gave, that God gave him, to bring others to Christ. Our second point is your stewardship of the temple. The temple. Well, when you think of the temple, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes in your mind? The church. Church building? Or you, the church? Both. Both. So we're going to talk about both. First, our body is the temple. Right? Our body is the temple. God gave us life and we belong to him. In 1 Corinthians 6.14 Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own commands us to live in the light. We are not our own. I know that comes as a shock. You couldn't do a thing to change your hair. Well, you can do something to change your hair color. But you can't do hardly a thing to change how you look. You're going to add another inch to you besides wearing platform shoes? How are you going to change yourself? God created you to be unique. He created you in the image that you are. But he, used, but he uses this vessel, this body, to proclaim as an instrument for him. And so we need to take care of it. God speaks that we are to give an account of ourselves in Romans 12, or 14, 12. In the context that this was written, Paul is telling the Romans that we're giving an account of what we do and how we are on ourselves and not to be a stumbling block. We, did you know you can be a blockhead? I mean, a block? <laughs> you can be a block. You have to give an account for that. So be careful, church, in how we steward and take care of ourselves. Take care of your own body. Hey, I mean, you get up and you take care of it, don't you? You, you clean it. You wash it. You clothe it. You try to make it look good. You want to do things that edify God. You want to do things to your body that make your body prosper so it can be a more efficient, efficient instrument that God can use. Amen? Amen. The temple as a church, the bride of Christ and the light of the world. Things that we do in the temple. You know, there's things when we come to the church, there's things that we do. I mean, we did some today, right? We sang, we fellowship, we talked, we laughed, we cried. But here's some other things that we do in the temple. Psalms 48.9 says, Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. 
What better place to come than the sanctuary, the temple of God, to meditate on God's goodness and the love that he has for us? There's nobody. There is nobody. Your kids, your wife, your husband, your parents. There's nobody that has greater love for you than God. Nobody. You cannot, you can't fathom God's love for you. There's nothing in our vocabulary that lets us vocalize God's love, intense love that he has for you and I. We go to the temple to thank him for that. Psalm 68, 29. We come to the temple and we bring gifts. We bring gifts. We bring all kinds of stuff. Uh, when we had our kids' crusade, we were bringing all kinds of stuff into the temple for, for the fun and for the edification of a bunch of kids. It was great, but we bring things to the temple. Psalm 66, 13, in the temple we bring offerings and fulfill our vows to you. In the temple, this is the place that we bring the offerings. This is the place where we bring the tithes. So what are some of the things that God does in the temple? That's what we do. You know, that's, that's our part. We praise God. We love God. We give. We bring gifts. Here's what God does. In Acts 2, 3, uh, or 3, 2, we have now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple called Beautiful, the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put put there every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. It's God heals. We know the rest of the story, right? God, through people, God, through believers, will do healing in the temple. Wow, is that a shock? It happens here. It happens here on this little corner. It happens here on more occasion than I even want to... It's amazing. When the Spirit of God comes in this place and the miracles that take place, physical healing, what God does, he proclaims the gospel. In Acts 5, uh, 20, it says, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. God's here. He's proclaiming himself. He proclaims himself in you. You are an example of God's workmanship. It's amazing if we spend time and are good stewards with his temple. We don't want the roof falling in, right? We, we really would like the air conditioning working in the, in the middle of August. Amen? I mean, we, we like the pews so when we sit down they don't fall over. Right? We've got to take care of the house. We've got to take care of the temple. So we need to spend time taking care of the temple. God commanded Solomon to build the temple. Kings, uh, 1 Kings 5 and 5 says, I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. A place of worship is designed by God. This gathering is designed by God. 
way back, long time ago. This wasn't like a 20th century innovation. Mega churches are not mega churches based on the 1950s. Churches exist because God wants them to be. He wants us to come in in multitudes. And the heavens, are, what's it say in, in Revelation? That the multitudes will praise him. He wants us to gather in multitudes to worship and praise his name. And let his spirit come within the multitudes so amazing, miraculous things can happen. Amen? Are we, are we still Pentecostal? Are we still spirit-filled? You know, we're celebrating 100 years of this uh, Assemblies of God this week. So uh, most, of our, most of our folks are in Springfield and Mecca, anyway, uh, celebrating our 100 years. You know, we're the fastest growing fellowship in the world in the 100 years that we've been in existence. We're unbelievable growth. Everywhere, every other one's declining. We're still rising. We're still seeking. We're still growing. Why are we growing? It's the same Bible. It's the same preaching. What's the difference between our, our fellowship? It's the Spirit of God. It's 100% the Spirit of the living God. Breathing on everything that we do. Seeing that it is good. The place of worship, we need to take care of it. Third point is our stewardship of our treasure. Now, I keeping with tradition of all pastors who speak at La Palma Christian Center, I had to come up with another T. So, so I, I ended up with, you know, time and, and, uh, and temple and treasure. But this is, now I'm talking about money. You knew I'd get there, right? I just, it took a long way to get there, but I'm, I'm there. So fasten up the seatbelt, put on the shoulder harness, because here we go. Matthew 6, 19, 21. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, but where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember, everything belongs to God. You have to get that kind of the fundamental, like the fundamental, the very first, the very first bricks you lay down on the base of the foundation. Because if you think things belong to you because of it's your own merit or your own skill or whatever, you, you're not going to get this. But if you get to the point where you say, you know what? You're right, Pastor. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Then you can, then you can understand God's logic in his command and his request. Every breath you take, all your strengths, all your talents, and all of your assets. Yes, every bit of your money belongs to him. Not just 10%. Every bit of it. 100% of it belongs to him. The breath you breathe belongs to him. The ability to get up out of bed to go to your job belongs to him. There will be a day that you'll wake up in the morning and you won't be able to get out of bed to go to work to get the job done. And your income stream is instantly cut off. What are you going to do? 
Well, you're going to pray, right? Lord, help me get out of this bed so I can go to work. Well, we'll get to that a little bit later. God will answer your prayer. He has mercy and grace. But there are conditions. We are commanded to bring the tithe and the offering to the storehouse. Simply 10% of your income is set aside each week and given to God. Good steward tithes. Christian tithes. I need another amen. There's no such thing as a stingy Christian. It's an oxymoron. You cannot be a giver and stingy at the same time. You need, as a believer, to set in your heart and in your mind, I am a giver. And I will give as the Lord asks me to give. New Testament. The New Testament has a little something more to say about giving. Mark 12, verse 40 through 42. This is a part where Jesus is in the temple watching them pray and watching the religious elite cast the vision on themselves on how they pray and what they do. Because part of the result was they, they, the religious elite at the time, devour the widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where they where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth very worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. This isn't about amount. When you get into the New Testament, it's not about 10%. It's not about 15%. When you get into the New Testament, and we're a New Testament church, it's about what God has called you to do. What has God called you to do? Old Testament's easy. You make 100 bucks, you put in $10. New Testament is you have $100 and you say, Lord, what do you want me to give? You make $1,000. It's not 100 bucks. It's, Lord, what do I need to do in my life in order to be able to give more toward you and your kingdom. It may not be a new lease this year on your car. It may be a Ford instead of a Mercedes. You hear me, church? This is a lifestyle. 
This isn't something you come in with your paycheck stub and go, okay, I clicked that thing off. Glory to God. Praise Jesus. I'll pray and he'll take care of me. You can't withhold a good thing from God. Withholding good things from God is, is tantamount of turning your back on him. I trust you with everything but this. I trust you with all of this, but I'm keeping this. And you, and you will come to the altar, put a bended knee, and you'll expect God as you pray to answer your prayer and to fill you and give you with abundance. And yet you've taken back, you've held back. So it's okay for you to hold back, but it's not okay for God to hold back? How, how can we do that? You can't expect God to be all if you're not willing to give all. Amen? Whole place to be going, hallelujah, yes, preach it. Because it's insanity to think that if we don't listen to God and don't take his promises and the things that he's asking us to do, that Yes, he's merciful. Yes, he'll answer. Yes, he does. But there is a point, folks, right? There is a point that you say, all right, I've been negligent in this, and I will, and I will test you. I will test you, Lord, to see that, you're, that what you're saying is true. Jesus knows sacrifice. Jesus knows sacrifice. He's the one who died on the cross. He's the one who loved us when we didn't love him. In fact, we hated him when we're sinners. Yet he died for us. There's a church in Macedonia that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Now, brothers and sisters, I want, to, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This includes Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded for us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. This church, this Macedonian church, gave in the midst of a severe trial. They were in a trial, and yet they gave. They gave out of extreme poverty. 
poverty. I mean, that's, you know, dried soup with, wet, with, with hot water in it, right? Ramen noodles. I was trying not to be a brand guy, but ramen noodles. Ramen noodles. They're in poverty, yet they gave. They gave beyond their own ability. That means they gave in faith. They gave beyond what they could do. And they gave entirely on their own. They gave as a privilege. They found it a privilege, an honor, an honor to be able to take what God has given them and give it back, give it to the church, get it Give it to the church so the church can feed the, feed the hungry, can provide shelter, can help. That's what we're designed to do. And they gave themselves first to the Lord. What can we learn about what God wants us individually and for the church corporately to do? He has provided us lots of examples of what to do, and how to do it with our time, with the resources, with the temple, and with our money. We need to learn to walk in the wisdom of God. Because it takes a little bit of wisdom to know what to do. Whose wisdom are you going to use? Wall Street? Whose wisdom are you going to use? Your mom and dad? Your financial advisor, your bank, your boss? Who's, whose wisdom are you going to use and how you become a good steward? You want the wisdom that comes from God. We have to realize that time is very short. If you read the news, watch the news, it's a crazy world out there. I mean, we have a pandemic. In my generation, we've never had a pandemic. In your, in your generation, we've never had even an inkling of a pandemic. People are on edge. There's fear, and it's right. It's not a wrong fear. It's a good fear because a pandemic goes around the world. Lots of people die. Time is short. There are wars, there are diseases, but with God, God is in control. He knows what's going on. It's nothing taking him by surprise. His whole purpose of his creation is to have relationship with them. And if it takes an Ebola outbreak, if it takes a financial crisis, if it takes a war to get people to look up to him, so let it be. We have to realize the seriousness of our decisions. Sometimes our decisions, we think it's just like, well, I'll, I'll do this now, and it just affects me and my family or whatever. Your decisions, your financial decisions, sometimes will have generational consequences. Generational consequences. Your giving will have generational consequences. Or your lack of giving could have generational consequences. Who's not going to hear? 
Who's not going to be able to go to the house of God because it's been sold, because it's now a parking lot or a, a set of condos or, you know, a new, a new routes or whatever, because they took it out. I know it's hard. This is hard. This is a hard sermon because it gets real personal, right? Your decisions have generational consequences. So you need the wisdom to know what to do. Everything belongs to God. He allows us to partner with him in something that he's entrusted to us. He's given us something. He's given us something of great value. He's given us time. He's given us life, this body. He's given us the ability to accumulate and get resources and money. We are to take care of all those things that he gave us. We only focused on three of these things, but we haven't touched on everything. If you use stewardship as a lifestyle, you'll find other areas that the Lord, through his spirit, will call upon you individually. It may not be for somebody else, may not be for your neighbor, may not be for your friends, but it may be just for you. Be in tune with God so he can speak to you and you can be obedient to him. Make stewardship part of your life. Every time management decision, the health, the health of the church, the financial decisions have not only generational ramifications, but they also have eternal ramifications. Not only does this affect my kids as kids, that's generational, but it affects, it affects the eternal destiny of those that are coming along and those that are here. Eternal destiny of our decisions. So be careful what we, what we want and be wise. In James uh, 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. We need to take care of God's stuff because it's God's stuff. It's not your stuff. You get, to, you get to hang on to it for a while. You get to enjoy it, but it's God's stuff. How are you doing that? Are you doing that? If you're not doing that, pray. Seek God's face on how you can be better at it. Because he will answer you. He will show you. The Lord needs to help us to be good stewards of time. He needs us to be a good steward of ourselves as a temple and of the place, the anointed place, the church. This place was anointed. When they built this church in 55, the chapel now, there was more cows than people. Now look where we are. The Lord can see way beyond our generation. He can see way out there. And we just need to be obedient to him. And be a good steward of the treasure. Be a good steward of the treasure. We're going to take our offering up uh, after the conclusion of a short video I'd like you to see.
Blessed are those who give without interest, who offer themselves and expect nothing in return. stand across the altar area and we're going to bring our gifts we're going to bring our offering and then we're going to pray for it and after that we will be dismissed but give with a gracious heart out of joy and out of peace and ask God pray a little prayer and ask him in this area, Lord, what do you want me to do? In this area of my life, in this area of my discipleship, what do you want from me? And be obedient to what he says. I'll stand and bring your gifts.
Father, we are so privileged to come into this house and yet so privileged to give to you. We ask you, Lord, to multiply exponentially this offering, our tithe, so we can be the light on this corner for this community, so we can be help for our missionaries that are around the world, so we can help and be the things that you want us to be. We ask you, Lord, to bless this church, bless every giver, Lord, as they have have seeked your face and looking for answers in this area. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for all the things that you have given us. Help us be better at managing and stewarding what you've given us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Come on, everybody, let's say amen together today. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, ushers. What a great ship we have sailed today. What a great reminder. We are simply stewards. Didn't you appreciate the word that Pastor Jim brought to us today? Amen. Speaking of being good stewards, like that little segue right there. I want to bring you an update. We are about to break ground on our remodel in this sanctuary. It is fast approaching. We have been in negotiation and talking and reworking a budget and and all of that, but we are very, very fast approaching uh, the demo portion of the remodel. And so in order to save some money and be good stewards of the money that God has given us, you like that, Pastor Moses, right there? I volunteered the men of the church to do the demo. There's just something about some men getting together with a, with a, a, ch- a chainsaw, a sawzall, with a sledgehammer. I don't know what all we're going to need, but it sounds like fun. Women, you can come and cook for us. That'd be fine. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Listen, ladies, come in your grubbies and roll up your sleeves. But we are going to demo ourselves, and it's going to save actually a lot of money. And so um, be aware. Brent Crone is going to be sending out an email, and we need your help. We need you to sign up. And so uh, be looking for that. But we dismiss you now in the name of the Lord. Go with God. Be blessed and be a blessing. Have a great day, everybody. Nice to have you with us. And all of our guests, please stop by our hospitality.